So let me tell you about Mojo, the live betting stock market that's operating in New Jersey. Every bet on Mojo offers live trading, so you can get in and out all game long. It's stock trading meets sports betting, with money lines, player props, and a whole new career-long bet that they've created. The best part is that you're in total control of your bets. They offer cash outs way more frequently than any other book. And if you use the code TPG and download the app now, you can get your first sweat-free bet up to $1,000. I repeat, TPG is the only way you can get a risk-free bet up to $1,000. It's pretty cool they've created that for us. All the usual rules apply. You have to be 21 or older and located in New Jersey to bet. Guy. And today is Wednesday, May 3rd, but you'll be listening to this Friday at the earliest. Welcome to the fourth episode of the Promo Guy podcast, now brought to you by Underdog Fantasy and Mojo, the stock market for sports. I am again joined by Nick from Blue Duck Media. Nick, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm co- we're coming off of a Knicks win last night. Now we just got to go to Miami, get at least one of two. I wouldn't put it. We won two in Cleveland last series, so I don't really. I'm not scared of this team playing on the road. Um, I feel good about our bet. Knicks and six. You can't feel good about our bet. I'm excited. I'm excited to really get into this because if I have to hear one more Heat fan tell me that Jimmy Butler is coming back and we could barely beat a team without him, you guys with Jimmy could not have played as perfectly as you played last night. Wow. Um. Everybody, every single person made out every one of your guys' shots. You guys shot ridiculously. Didn't, didn't the Heat shoot lower percentage from three than the Knicks? Or am I crazy? Adding a good mid, adding a bad three-point shooter to your lineup isn't going to make you guys any more dangerous. I was honestly more scared of Duncan Robinson last night than I was of half the guys out there. Well, I'll say this. If the Knicks... The only guy <laughs> on your team that is not good is I don't know what Highsmith is doing out there. <laughs> it, if... If Jalen Brunson going like what six to ten from three and RJ Barrett having the game of his life and then weirdly not playing down the stretch, like if you can repeat all of that and get some calls that go your way again, you might just be able to beat a team with Caleb Martin and Max Drews as the two leading scorers at home down one nothing. <laughs> you just you just might be able to do it if you can repeat all of that. Um, but anyway, uh, let's get into. The A block, is that good? Because I know we got some more NBA talk in the wheel of sports again this week, so I want to save it. Yeah, let's get it going. Awesome. Okay, so state of the stack. Uh, This is where, as always, like we've done with the Spaces Forever and now with the podcast for the first few weeks, talk about how we've been doing. Uh, First, I'll start with the Twitter account. Uh, It was, honestly, everything's just kind of chugging along. It was a good week. We had, and now I get confused of what week, what bets were in which week, but I think the Man City FanDuel boost, the, the plus 300 that miraculously hit on the Arsenal goal was this week. And then we had the plus 300 FanDuel boost, the Steph one hit with ease uh, the other day. So FanDuel boost doing well. Uh, and then in the other days, it was a lot of like one and ones and plus 100 hits. So a lot of mediums, but uh, really good following off of last week's huge FanDuel boosts going 3-0. Maybe that was the Man City one. Um, but FanDuel boosts have been good to us. They're chugging along. Uh, yesterday, we had the DraftKings SGPX hit. We had the Kraken hit. And then uh, I would say the other big hit in the last few days was the FanDuel plus 847 
free bet hit. Uh, so definitely a good week uh, on the Twitter account. The Discord kind of similarly chugging along. The you know higher tier official plays had seven straight profitable days, so it's added highs and you know crossed a hundred units cumulatively. So all good things there. Uh, Dinger Tuesday was a little d- disappointing for the second straight week. We were down, I think it was 120, maybe 135 uh, for the unlimited group, and then 100 for the limited group with $130 in free bets coming in. Um, we did make back, well, depending on how the game goes tonight, we should make back last week's losses off of the free bets because we're up, I believe, $109. And then if a favored like hits tonight, uh, it would then move us over the 150 in losses. But we're going to have to do that again this week. So kind of, you know, staying flat, not really progressing higher Dinger Tuesday. Nothing disastrous or anything. But, you know, uh, something that we're not, not that we're unaccustomed to. We've had much, much worse weeks in the past than this. But we'd like to start seeing uh, some some good weeks like the first week uh, stack up because we're, we're kind of probably even-ish since we were up a couple hundred bucks the first week. And then the rest of the Discord's been doing really great, uh, other than like not just talking about the official plays, but Barstool, we've hit three or four now on that home run insurance play for those that aren't promo banned. MGM Parlay, we hit a baseball one. Caesars SGPs, those plus 400 plus ones pre-boost, we hit two in a row. So things have really been chugging along nicely, and I think it kind of speaks to a bigger thing where you just put all these plus EV bets and you're into a portfolio and sometimes the Caesars ones will struggle, but we're doing great on MGM or the Caesars ones will struggle and we're doing great on Dinger Tuesday or FanDuel Boost or whatever it is. And then sometimes it kind of flips around a little bit, but as long as you put a bunch of plus EV bets in there over time, you know, you'll do well like we've been doing. It's been honestly really nice. Uh, I would say kind of a couple of months, but a couple of weeks as well. So all good things. Um, now we go to the gambling landscape update. We have a big announcement from Mojo uh, coming next week, which we'll get into. But otherwise, a lot of the promos have been similar. DraftKings have been peppering us with no sweats and gifts and SGP boosts. I mean, they've, they've been doing great. FanDuel, I would say, is taking their foot off the gas a little bit. Maybe that's harsh. But I was a little disappointed that there wasn't an NBA boost uh, the other night. and But, you know, nothing too disappointing to talk about. Caesars has really been consistent. You know, it's been a lot of the same for the last month or so. So, uh, all good things. We're chugging along and we're happy about it. Yeah. Love to see that. And I think we get to the fun stuff now. We, we ready to hit the wheel of sports. Yeah. All right. So we got the rigged playoff one. And then what are our other options? We have the NBA playoff update. The NFL draft is done. The Rangers get eliminated from the playoffs. Dylan Brooks gets publicly embarrassed. And what is TPG's real name? Let's give this bad boy a spin. One of these days it's going to land on that because you guys think you're funny. All right, let's talk some NBA playoffs. <laughs> no way. You, what are the odds? <laughs> you want to start? Um, sure. Uh, so I'll say the NBA playoffs have been really fun. It's definitely been... Uh, I think one of the better playoffs we've had in a few years. A lot of that is due to upsets. I like the stat where there's, and we talked about this before the playoffs started, that some of the lower seeds might have some success, but there's actually one of every seed. 
still alive. So one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. And even then you have the eight seed Heat are one and one. The Lakers, which are the seventh seed, are one and O. Oh. <laughs> the six seed Warriors are, well, I mean, they're obviously O and one in this round, but uh, they have a lot of fight in them. It's going to be a six or a seven that wins. And I think that the biggest disappointment has probably been the Suns, uh, who are down 0-2. And then the other, then you go up to the four seed, or no, Boston must be a three seed, right? Um, and they're up 1-0 on the Celtics. I thought it was really, and which might be one of the bigger upsets. I mean, other than Heat Bucks that we've had just with Embiid not playing, it was a 10-point spread. And maybe we start there. I thought that that was kind of like a nice moment for Harden, who... Basically, his whole playoff career, starting from the 2012 or 11, 2012 finals, uh, has been kind of plagued by playoff performance and not showing up when teams need him. But he went crazy. What did he have? Forty five points. Yeah. To beat to beat the heavily favored Celtics, like that was awesome for me. Yeah. Do we think? I know people by the time they hear this will have already seen the outcome of Game Two, but do we think Philly has a real chance? And do you like? taking their live series uh, price right now? So as I look, and Embiid was just announced likely to play, uh, it was plus 116, minus 142. Uh, so, I, th- I mean, I, gun to my head, I would probably take the Celtics there. My issue with the Sixers has kind of always been, but I mean, look, if, if Harden's going to play like that, you know, uh, they definitely have a chance. My issue with the Sixers has kind of always been Embiid's ability. You know, you see a lot of guys, LeBron, KD, although he's struggling, uh, Steph, I'll put Jimmy and Tatum in there as well. Like, they elevate their minutes, they elevate their energy on both ends. And I think it's tough for Embiid, whether it's from the shape he's in, from an injury standpoint, from size, like just sheer size. I think it's really tough for him to play a lot more minutes. I think most of his career, his playoff career, he's still averaging in like the mid-30s as opposed to, you know, we used to see LeBron go 48 minutes every single game in some playoff series. And I think in order to beat some of these teams, uh, you know, where you have Tatum able to play high minutes, able to be high energy on both ends, and Jalen Brown, the same thing, and, you know, just kind of, I don't want to say a juggernaut, but a really stacked team in Boston. I think it's tough for Embiid to just be extraordinarily impactful on both ends for that many minutes. That's why I'll kind of lead Boston. But taking taking that first one is huge. And Boston does seem to be having some kind of issues in the sense that they struggled with Atlanta. Yeah, you would think they have last year they were so dominant and such they have such good defensive guards. You would think they'd be able to, with them beat out, throw all their attention towards Harden and Maxi, and they can go just as small as they were going and leave Horford out there to deal with Paul Reed, and you should be able to have four guys on the floor at any given time that can play really great defense on their guards between Smart, Brown, Brogdon, Tatum. Yeah. Throw Williams in there. Like, I, it just, something does not seem right about their defense. Their season. defense, for sure. And I think they kind of just struggled with, like, you don't want to oversell on, like, a hardened step back because you don't want to send him to the free throw line. And if he's going to hit a between-the-leg step back 
three feet behind the three-point line, like, he might beat you. But I thought they're big. I mean, I don't know what's going on with, with Jalen Brown. He's incredibly good. <laughs> and just just skilled-wise, and he was 6 for 7 in the first quarter and ends up 8 of 10. Like, I thought that was weird. Um, but I don't know. They got to clean the, They got to clean themselves up. And because they were really good in the regular season, at least for most of it. And they did represent the East last year. Um, whereas, you know, Philly got kind of, well, basically every year for the last five, six, I don't know, however long they've, since they've been decent, they've been getting knocked out of the, knocked out early. So it would be, it'd be a, a, an interesting upset and it might be the theme of the playoffs. Like if we end up with Philly against New York or Miami, that would be like a pretty, I don't want to say shocking, but pretty shocking result. And then on the, on the West, like, I don't, I mean, Denver was the one seed, but Phoenix was considered like that team and they don't seem right between, you know, something's off with KD. It feels like, I know his numbers are pretty good, but I was watching that game and been watching them a bit. It just feels like he's almost like a decoy sitting in the corner and he's not even shooting well. Before we jump to the Sun series, because I do want to talk about that. My last thought on the Sixers, I think it's interesting that they because they haven't been there before simply because they haven't won if you go back to 2019 when Kawhi hit the shot in game seven that ball takes a slightly different bounce and i think the odds on this series look completely different because people will have seen the sixers succeed before and make it to the nba finals i think teams just expect especially with recency bias we watched four versions of the Cavs versus Warriors. We've gotten the same teams in the playoffs over and over. And when I say the same teams, I mean the Warriors in the West and whoever the hell LeBron decides he's playing for in the East for years. Correct. Correct. And I think people just expect, because the Celtics made it last year, that they will continue year after year to be the team that represents the East. Or there was a lot of momentum behind it's either the Celtics or the Bucks, and now that the Bucks are gone, it has to be the Celtics. Right. This Sixers team is real, and just because they haven't been there before, I think if they had won that series in 2019, so we'd gotten an NBA Finals appearance out of Embiid, I think the odds would be a lot less long. So I think it's I, worth looking at. I hear you, but that team also had, I mean, for lack of a better explanation, that team had Jimmy Butler, and they still couldn't get out of the second round. Yeah, And they also had Ben Simmons, who whatever you thought of him at the time or whatever you think of him now. Um, and they still had Tobias Harris. And, yeah, this team has James Harden. But, like, we've seen Jimmy Butler, who was really good in that series, elevate his game and was able to, frankly, take a, a load off Embiid. But you go back as, you know, you, you go back to last year. And a lot of this, a lot of the playoffs, like, a message that I'm kind of thinking is, like, the teams that have done it, been there and done it, matter. Experience matters. The Warriors, six seed, but they're still the Warriors, and they, they take care of the three seed Kings. The Lakers, look, you know, like you said, like LeBron and AD, they, were just, they just won a championship a couple years ago, and they really haven't been healthy since uh, until now, you know, knock on wood. And, like, that, it matters. Like, yeah, they didn't have the best regular season, but, like, they have those guys, and that matters, and they've been there. The Heat had the worst had a terrible regular season, right? But they've represented, you know, they've been in the conference finals two of the last three years. They represented the East 
uh, in one of those and were a shot away the year before. Like, they, they win their first round series. Like, they were terrible in the, in the regular season. But, like, that almost doesn't matter if, is what it feels like because, like, they've been there. It's, it's almost the same team. So, yeah, we haven't seen Embiid dominate a playoffs. We haven't seen him make an extended yeah. run. We're already seeing him struggle with injuries. Like, it's it's tough to play as hard as he does in the regular season to be his size, to have his injury history, and play 40-plus minutes every other night with high intensity and not only not get hurt, but, you know, also be effective. And, it, it, you know, it'll be fun. I think, I think all of these series are really up in the air, maybe other than the Denver one, but... Heat Knicks is minus one. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk Denver. You don't think there's any value? You don't think there's any value in the Suns plus 330 at this point? All Denver did was did what they were supposed to do. They won their two at home. If Phoenix wins their two at home, obviously those lines get a lot, that number gets a lot smaller. I I think, I think. Do we like taking a little bit of value in plus 330 before the Suns win a couple home games? I think we, we have to talk about the term value as it's often used in the betting world as plus odds or long shot, but it doesn't necessarily mean it's valuable. Um, I don't like it. I mean, I just think without Chris Paul that, and I don't think Denver's like this huge juggernaut, but I think especially losing Chris Paul and not that he's awesome or anything, but campaigns like he's too little. He makes bad decisions. I, I don't really like him as like your starting point guard and getting a ton of minutes. And they just, they just don't have guys. I mean, outside of Booker, Aiden, and KD now, like you go from having four guys to having three guys, and that's a huge deal. When Joshua Koji and Campaign and I can't even name like half the other guys. It looks like the Heat team out there, but without you know whatever they got going, um, I I just think it's it's going to be tough unless you just sort of see KD Brooklyn come and match what Booker's doing. And I think for six more games, playing 44 minutes, it's, or I guess it would be five more games. Uh, I think it's a tall, t- I think it's like a really tall task, to be honest. I, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I wish I could say, I believe that the Suns are going to be able to come back. I don't even know. I think if you got that Nets version of Kevin Durant, you'd have a chance. And I don't even know if that would be enough. Just because they really have so little surrounding their three guys standing. And at this point, Kevin Durant is the best decoy in the world. I'm fully with you. You watch every single game and he doesn't leave the corner. All He, he, he steps into a few to top of the game. It's really weird. And you know what? Credit, a little bit of credit to Devin Booker. Like He's been efficient. He's been good. Uh, obviously, it helps to have the, the court space like that, but... I think that uh, he's going to have to keep playing like this. And then KD was a bit more aggressive last game, just missing. He's going to have to really step up for them to just survive these games at home. I mean, you know, you say, oh, if they get both, but like that's going to be tough. And then and then just in a game seven in Denver, obviously, if you get to that point, you're happy you got plus 330. But even still, I think they're pretty decent underdogs and you're asking a ton out of two guys from a usage rate perspective, from a minutes perspective, because their last series, they were playing a ton of minutes too. And their usage is about to go through the roof without Chris Paul like yeah. bringing up the ball and letting them rest, at least from that point or from a possession, you know, for a couple of possessions. Like they're going to have to do everything because yeah. you can't have these Suns bench players 
with the ball, really. <laughs> yeah, they just really need Kevin Durant to start attacking closeouts and stop making everything so difficult for himself. I mean, Devin Booker, if you when you're watching him play, every single time he catches, he's catching it with a quick rip through, taking one or two dribbles, getting to his spot, and rising up. And he knows exactly what he wants to get and where he wants to get his shots from. It feels like the game feels complicated for Kevin Durant right now. And I'm excited. I hope to see him bounce back. I would love for this to be a great series, but he just doesn't seem to have his rhythm while Booker's out there looking like prime R.J. Barrett. So, <laughs> Prime R.J. Barrett. What? All right. I, I think we've talked enough about Heat Knicks, but why did he sit the last five, seven minutes of the game? I get Grimes is a better free throw shooter, question mark. Grimes is a better defender. I think at that yeah. point... In the game, but, but a better defender. But like, what? So you're saying RJ Barrett can't stay in front of Caleb Martin? I think like, at that who, point in the who game, who are you having him out there to defend? I'm not saying that it was the right or wrong call. I don't watch the Knicks enough. I just thought it was weird because RJ Barrett. I, I'll was... tell you what it was. I think at that point we knew where we wanted our offense to come from. We wanted it to come from our guys. It was either going to be Brunson or um, or Randall. And they created open threes for the guys around them. You, Grimes missed his two, and Hart made it two of his three. And I think that's just where we wanted our offense coming from. RJ, you end up. I mean, you, you have to take what you're. You have to live and die right. with his floaters that very often don't go in. And he'd already. I guess the way Thibodeau looked at it was, we already got his best game. <laughs> he like he started the game five of six from three. He didn't have any more threes. <laughs> He didn't have any more threes left in him. Like, we, let's go somewhere else. That's really funny. Although I will, I will say I think it was more so Mitchell Robinson and Hardenstein who got Hart and Grimes those open threes rather than the flow of the offense, um, which is the offensive rebounding was so fun. Which is underratedly so where I think the Heat missed Jimmy Butler because they went with Vincent and Lowry on the court, which you would never kind of see. Um, but if you put Jimmy in there for, you know, six foot nothing Kyle Lowry, you probably get some better box outs on Grimes and Hart and, and Randall. So, um, but anyway, I think it's just, I mean, like I said, we didn't even talk about Lakers Warriors, which is probably the best series out of all of them. So I'm excited for the rest of this playoffs. And I think it's definitely one of the better ones we've had. Like you said, it used to just be LeBron Warriors, which I guess technically we, <laughs> we, we have right now, but uh, but this has been really fun, and we have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, all right, let's get back to the wheel. Uh oh, this is this feels like it does not belong here. This feels like it's a grinds my gears. We've got the NFL draft running backs. Uh, this does just feel like a grind my gears. Like oh, I'm going to have to listen to you get angry for the next five minutes. Okay, well, I'm glad that this one hit. I think two running backs were drafted in the top 12. Correct. Was they, it? They went eight and they went number eight and 12. And I thought we were past this as a society. And I thought we all kind of agreed that running backs were very replaceable. Um, so I actually, some of you actually know this because I, when I was with Dimers, I put out an article and then um, I pulled it off for like privacy reasons while I was working. But I wrote a paper in like, I don't know what you're in. So like seven years ago, maybe about uh, how running backs don't matter and that you should never pay them or draft them high. I'd like to think I was a man before 
my time, but apparently that time hasn't come yet because we had two running backs taken in the top 12. So I will pull up some stats from this paper, but as I'm looking for that, the first point I want to mention that wasn't in my, the paper, and I wish it was because it's a really smart point that I heard someone on TV say, was when you are taking someone with the eighth pick, it costs, you know, you pay them X amount. It's pretty much slated regardless of position. And then you get them for a few years at that rate. Well, given how little running backs are paid now, like the top running backs, you're now paying a guy basically as if he's one of the best running backs in the league and you're not getting any savings. Like part of what made a lot of dynasties really great from Seattle with Russell Wilson on his rookie deal Brady always taking pay cuts, and the quarterback always comes to mind. But is when you have guys that should be making a, a ton of money, and you pay them very little amount of money because they're rookies, because you have them on their rookie deals. Well, running back, you're paying them almost as much as you would pay them for their second contract, sometimes even more for a lot of the top guys. So the first point I want to make is you're not saving yourself any money towards the cap by taking a running back high as opposed to taking a more premium position, which really could be any position because wide receivers get paid a lot more now. Uh, obviously tackles, defensive ends, quarterbacks, obviously. Um, so really any position besides for running back, and then you know some could argue linebacker, but even they get paid more than running backs. It, it doesn't make sense to take them that high because you're not saving any money. But now to the good stuff. Okay, first thing that I found is that Running backs, so I did mostly pay analysis because guys that were drafted higher would end up with a lot more carries, so it was, it was a little tougher to do, um, just because they would, like Trent Richardson got th like 300 carries his rookie year, even though he wasn't good because, well, he was the first round running back. Okay, so guys that got, there was no correlation between salary of a running back and their PFF grade. There was no correlation between a running back salary and DVOA. So that's a, that's a value over average. Um, there was no correlation between <laughs> salary and yards per carry. Actually, a lot of these correlations were like in, statistically insignificantly negative. Now, every other position, I did offensive line, I did wide receivers, I'm um, looking through Maybe it's just those two. I think those were some of the lower ones, uh, correlations. But they all had very positive correlation. But all this is to say is that having a good having a running back that you pay a lot isn't going to help your offense much. And we've also seen anecdotally since this paper, like the last twelve Super Bowl champions, including this recent one, have a low paying running back. You know, Pacheco was their was their main running back as a seventh round pick. The Patriots never had highly paid running backs. Um, so that is kind of my spiel. I thought we were past this. I wanted to share some stats that hopefully in the future, GMs won't be stupid enough to take running back that high. Um, we've seen it anecdotally over the years. The The big signing that kind of comes to mind is like Le'Veon Bell with the Jets. He didn't make their offense any better. And a lot of people will blame it on, oh, it's their second or third contract and people are overpaying. But really, has it like what picks have worked out so well um, for highly for you know highly drafted running backs in, in the past, you know, Tony Pollard's been just as good as Zeke for however many years. The Giants don't even want Saquon anymore, and he's been good. I mean, for whatever that's worth, but like their offense was one of the worst offenses in the league for however long he's been there. Uh, 
And really, just overall, uh, I I guess this does sound like a grind my gears, but it makes no sense. You're absolutely wasting valuable draft capital. You can find the same guys later in the draft. when Even, even when Christian McCaffrey, who is basically a slot receiver, went to San Francisco, and that was like the big deal. Uh, it's like, oh, they're stacked. What are you going to do with them now? And to some extent, you I, I don't know if he helped their offense, but like, you know, they did put him in the slot enough as, a, as, as if they were paying a slot receiver. They didn't even ask him to carry the ball. In their big playoff game, uh, not the Eagles game because they got killed, but the, the game before, they were going to, uh, who's, who's, who's there? Whatever, I'm blanking on the guy's name. They were going to the running back that they had had prior for the majority of the second half. I think we lost a fan to a boost on that, actually. Uh, so, in the Panthers, their offense actually looked better when, when he left, and that's obviously coincidental. But you're just not seeing any running back transform offenses and create these sort of juggernaut teams. I mean, even in Tennessee, Derrick Henry, who's arguably been the best running back in the league, and I'm kind of doing this off my head now, like they got they were horrific with Malik Willis at quarterback. And when Mariota was there, they were what, three and four, and then Tannehill came. And yeah, they run the ball a lot, but it's it's not, you know. Derrick Henry, that is the huge difference maker, and people might disagree with that. But in my article, teams that had their starting running back go down in the rest of the season for uh, looks like the the three years that I looked at, they actually had a better record after their starting running back got hurt, and their and their offense scored more points per game. Again, I think that's mostly coincidental, but it's absurd. If you lose your starting running, if you lost your starting quarterback, if you lost your number one receiver, if you lost your number one tackle, of course your offense would get worse. Of course your team would get worse. Why are teams not being affected or somehow even performing better when their top running back goes out? It's because the position doesn't matter that much. It's because there are 90% of their carries, any running back's going to get a very similar outcome. And maybe it's more than 90%. And then some of them, you know, Adrian Peterson, who was the top rated guy at, at the time of the league, he led the league in fumbles, right? Like, we haven't seen this transformational running back that debucks all stats here of other running backs where everyone's really replacement level, except there was one guy in the database, and then we can move on. There was one guy in the database that was statistically significantly different than everyone else, and it was Trent Richardson because of how bad he was. So yes, if you have a guy that shouldn't be in the league, it may hurt your offense, or a guy that just doesn't see the hole in front of him. But for the most part, every starting running back is about the same and same impact to your offense. Even if that's not true when they're in high school and college because they can break tackles easier because they operate in a bit more space and all that. But in the NFL, you should not be paying. You should not be drafting running backs. Yeah, I I think having a great running back is a luxury. And I don't know if I can fully get on board with don't draft them in the first round. I just think that a team with as many holes to fill as the Falcons with the eighth pick going with a running back is absolutely absurd to me. But I wouldn't have been. Didn't they lead the league in rushing? They were. I think. I think I saw fifth in the league in rushing, and they had the fifth worst defense. Okay. And it just makes no sense. Like to plug. <laughs> it's going to be great for fantasy owners to be able to plug Robinson in. Oh, for sure. To what was already the fifth best rushing offense. It's going to be great. I just, I fully agree that paying them at around the height of the running back market 
is silly, but I, if Robinson comes in and is the talent that someone like Saquon is, and he's been touted as the best running back prospect since Saquon. I think he's phenomenal. So do yeah. I. So I do think they'll end up getting value out of the contract. I don't think, I don't look at it as this is, they are getting bad value from their running back spot. I just don't think you build a team from the running back spot out. They have so many other holes. It's just, you're not going to transform your team when you get an extra few points a game or a few extra yards a game on the ground and you still can't stop anybody. Um, I just think it would have been a better investment to start to shore up their defense. I mean, I, I think teams are best built from the lines out. And it, when they the fact that they passed on Jalen Carter is crazy to me. I, I think they had a stud interior lineman that no way should be available that late and they decide to take a running back, which is crazy. My, my guess is it's going to look a lot like when the Steelers drafted Najee Harris, where people are like, oh, he's awesome. He jumped over a guy uh, in their offense. And like he's going to be a first-round fantasy pick. And, you know, he's going to do well because he's going to get a bunch of carries. And their offense is already good on the ground. I don't, I don't think Pittsburgh was, but whatever. Um, but he's going to have no impact on them becoming a better offense. And statistics, like they're going to be the same offense as they were last year. And... Yeah, maybe, he, maybe I, I disagree, but whatever. I can see the argument for him being worth the money, but because it's only what seven, eight million a year or something. Um, but it's not worth the eighth pick. The eighth pick should be a guy that has a real impact on your team. Yeah, that's the that's exactly <laughs> what I'm saying. It is definitely worth the seven or eight mil. I think he is a very good running back and will be one of the top ten most efficient running backs in the league. But to lose out on the value you could have gotten somewhere else to go get that guy. I, I wouldn't have been mad if a, a more complete team. To, like, I, I don't agree with you that running backs in the first round are a complete non-starter for me. If a more complete team, a.k.a. the Chiefs, late in the first round went running back, I would have no problem with it. I mean, personally, I wanted the Chiefs to get Michael Meyer. I think he's a stud and I really want the Chiefs. I want the next Travis Kelsey to be drafted so that he can train under him. But that's another, I guess that's a conversation for another time. Okay. Awesome. I think we we've, we've done the wheel of sports and we are going to take a quick break and I'm going to get into uh, how we calculate a few of sort of the regular boosts that we do. And I'll go through a few specific ones that uh, we had yesterday and uh, we'll be right back after this break. Thanks for listening. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Underdog Fantasy, the easiest place to play fantasy sports. Draft a fantasy team against your friends for tonight's or tomorrow's games to win cash prizes, or try out their pick'em game where you can predict player stat projections for a chance to win big. Underdog's slick mobile app is easy to use, and it's even easier to just start playing. Go to underdogfantasy.com or the App Store. Sign up with the promo code PGP, the Promo Guy Podcast, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. Again, that's Underdog Fantasy, promo code PGP. Welcome back in. And for today's big thought, I thought we would do something a little different and just sort of dive in to the math behind a couple boosts, maybe help you calculate on your own or just help you get a sense for how I do a lot of the maybe more frequent boosts. So I thought yesterday there were two 
boosts that would kind of be good examples to, to dive through. So first, I will do the New York boost, which was Jalen Brunson, 25-plus points. Um, Josh Hart, oh no, sorry, Jalen Brunson, 20-plus points. Josh Hart, 10-plus points, boosted a plus 150, uh, which actually did miraculously hit at the end, I believe. So first, the way we do this, there's going to be a few components to it. There's going to be... We need their, their main lines. So for Jalen Brunson, we'll start with him. Uh, I believe his over-under was 24 and a half. And then, so how do we figure out what the over 19 and a half would be? So the way I like to do it, and I always head check this with the books two ways, but the way I like to do it is to look at how, so if there was a zero standard deviation world, right, he would get exactly 24 or 25 points every game. And, uh, his odds of getting over 19 and a half would be, well, 100%, right? Because we know he's going to get 24 or 25, no matter what. And if he were extraordinarily volatile, and a good example of that might be, and there aren't any real examples in the NBA, but let's say he were Tyus Jones, and he were John Morant's backup, and there was a 50% chance that John Morant was going to play, and a 50% chance John Morant was not going to play. Tyus Jones over under might be, I don't know, 10 and a half. But it would jump up to 14 and a half if, if Jaw doesn't play. And it would be, you know, whatever, six and a half if, if he does play. So that would be a very volatile coming into the game over, over under, right? Where we really, his points could be all over the place. And a lot of it would depend on that situation. But the majority of these boosts deal with star players um, or high usage guys like Jalen Brunson. So 24 and a half, you look at, his season long standard deviation, and then look at similar players, but more similar like averages and points. So I have it mapped out where like this guy averages this many points. This is standard deviation. This is a standard deviation of minutes, because that's also like kind of a tricky thing in the playoffs, where in the regular season you have blowouts, you have guys in and out of lineups all the time. So that increases standard deviation, especially for a guy like Josh Hart, which we'll get into. But for Brunson, it's it's like pretty consistent he's got a low standard deviation minutes he's going to get kind of get his usage no matter what his minutes no matter what assuming he doesn't get hurt or fouled or anything uh, drastic or double overtime like that but that could also happen in a playoff game so it's not a huge difference there and then again you look at similar players and a lot of the guys in the mid-20s high 20s points per game are going to be guys like Jalen Brunson so Take his standard deviation, take his over-under points, and then you, so I, I like to extrapolate uh, what that would mean for his over 19 and a half. So, let me just, well, I don't even have his uh, FanDuel over-under, but I think I actually remember it. So I believe he was, let me just make sure it makes sense. Yeah, so my number comes out to, so I used standard deviation about seven and a half, um, and then FanDuel's over-under was plus 270 minus 400 if I remember correctly and they had 24 and a half slightly favored so I did like 24 65 or whatever so it got me to 0.7539 so basically minus 300 and that is again really similar to what and it, it always I mean it usually is but I like to head check it because you never know like I could have made a mistake with something or Sometimes like you get like a really weird bet 365 or DraftKings SGP kind of outline or even FanDuel, especially because they can be really wide. You don't really know or the, the over-under is like too low where they don't have a two-way for it. So you kind of got to trust yourself. But my numbers end up always very close to what the book's two-way have is and it's kind of a nice head check. So they were, I believe, plus 270 minus 400. 
Uh, I was a little bit above minus 300, so that all kind of made sense. I'm usually a little bit more conservative than they are. So, great. So then that's his number. Josh Hart, it's a lot harder to do the standard deviation analysis for a guy like Josh Hart. Kind of because what I said before, where guys are in and out of the lineup. I mean, he got traded teams. His usage just differs every night, so his standard deviation will be higher than it is in reality because his over-under points is going to change a lot throughout the year. So for him, luckily... But for him, I would mostly just rely on, on the books. I would look at DraftKings, SGP. I would look at the FanDuel outlines, maybe Bet365. Uh, Camby has alts too. So like we have enough over-unders for him where it works. Again, when I can, I like to rely on kind of my own stuff because I know that, that makes sense. It's consistent. I've been doing it all year long, and it's usually in line. And so that, that way I can sort of weed out outliers. But for Hart, I was kind of relying a little bit more on the books. I don't remember the exact... Uh, two-way that was there, so I won't pretend to, but let's say his number was, I don't know, minus 200. I think, because I think his over-under was 11 and a half, and I'll just guess his standard deviation. I just want to make sure that, that. so Hart was 11 and a half. I think his fair odds were around my, uh, minus 200 to get his. So then, normally we would just multiply these two out together and get the fair odds, but uh, one thing we do have to account for is the correlation then between these guys and why I like this as an example. So two guys on the same team generally have a negative correlation between each other of their points. And why is that? Well, if Jalen Brunson scores more than he's expected to, that he's likely taking more shots than he's expected to, and that leaves less shot opportunities for Josh Hart. Like it's somewhat simple, right? Where there's only so many possessions in a game. And if Brunson goes off for 60, or like Steph went off for 50 the other day, uh, and then all of his teammates ended up under their over-under points for the most part because, you know, he, he took 38 shots. And normally he would take, I don't know, what does he normally take, like 20 shots, 22 shots, something like that. So he was taking almost double the amount of shots that he normally does, and that leaves a lot less possessions for the rest of his teammates, uh, who also happen to not shoot well, but that feels separate. Um, so anyway, so normally with negative correlation, I like to, I usually use like a... And again, I don't want to get totally into the to the nitty gritty, but like a, a 0.1 correlation coefficient. I would use a bigger one if it were a situation like um, Davion Mitchell and Terrence Davis, for example, where their minutes are going to be negatively correlated because depending on how they're playing, one of them is going to be in the game and one of them will likely suffer. Their minutes will likely suffer because the other one's out there. So that's when you get much larger correlations where two guys are sort of connected in the sense that only one of them is going to be out on the court in the last 10 minutes of the game. So, it's, you know, it's just completely negatively correlated in that sense. But for Brunson, Brunson's going to be out there kind of no matter what. And Josh Hart's performance or anything like that isn't going to have much of an effect on it. So um, it's just the first component that I talked about where there'd be less shots for the other one if one of them went over. And so I put a, a 0.1 correlation and... I think that came out to plus 117. It was boosted to plus 150. So it's going to be around. So then you would do, just to be complete, you would do 150 minus the 117 uh, divided by 2.17 because that's the plus 117 odds. And, you know, 33 divided by 2, 16 and a half. So it's going to be around 16%. Um, so that was the New York boost last night. And I hope that's sort of helpful in how we how I look at that kind of a boost. The other one I wanted to get into uh, quickly, and it's got some overlapping themes like most of them do, 
was the DraftKings Stefan LeBron to combine for 60 plus points. It was boosted to plus 140. So this one is two guys on opposing teams, and we can put the correlation basically at zero. Uh, sorry, the correlation absolutely does not matter here um, because it's a combined boost. Um, but two guys on opposing teams, and their over-unders were set a little bit above 56 combined. And the interesting thing about this one is I, I found it, I got it negative uh, or about fair, but I think I ended up with like plus 145. And, and it was boosted to plus 140. The funny thing about it was that DraftKings had a two-way market for their combined over-under at minus 105, minus 130. But that that was, you know, this is why we don't just blindly trust sort of like a weird specials market that was clearly stale when their over-unders were higher earlier in the day and they just didn't adjust to it um, because it's kind of disconnected from the main odds. So anyway, so I, when I did it out, there's two ways you can do it. Uh, one, I'll give it, it's kind of the way I've always been doing these, um, which is the standard deviation way. So taking each of their standard deviations. And so Steph, Steph's over under was 31 and a half. So I, I, I mentioned Brunson's. I think I used seven and a half yesterday. I don't remember exactly. But it, was, it was pretty close to that. Steph's, I'm going to use a, a higher standard deviation because, well, he's expecting more points. So it's more, you know, uh, if you have a, an over under of three and a half, you'll probably hang out in the zero to six range, maybe zero to eight range, and your standard deviation is gonna be very low. If your over-under is 31 and a half, you could get 50, you could get 20, uh, even just a, a, you know, I think he ended up with 27 last night. Even that variation, which is only four in a very small percentage of, or four and a half, very small percentage of his over-under, in a literal sense, like that would be a ton for Josh Hart, whose over-under was 11 and a half, if he got 16, if he got, um, if you got seven, right, that would be a real variation from his over-under. It would be a disappointing or a very good game. But for Steph, it was kind of nearby. And, and so his standard deviation is going to be higher. I think I used almost eight and a half probably. I used like 8.35. And then for LeBron, you, um, it was a, a closer to eight. Uh, his over-under was like 25 and a half, 26. I think, it was, I think I used 7.75 as standard deviation. And then you can use a combined standard deviation formula. Uh, you don't just add up their standard deviations because... They don't necessarily like go the same way, but there's a combined distribution formula that comes out to like 11 and a half or something like that. And then that got me to plus 145. There is a tool without having to, to you know, track guys' standard deviations for a season and all that crap um, that I like to do. Uh, there actually is a tool that I now use to, to head check uh, myself that came out somewhat recently, although it's probably been a few months now. Um, and it's, what's it called? Crazy Ninja Mike? Combo, yeah, Crazy Ninja Mike Combo Breaker, where you just put in the FanDuel alts. And what, what this tool basically does is it, this is an ad, he doesn't even know I'm doing this. What this tool does is it maps out, okay, there's a 80% chance that Steph gets, well, actually, I should describe better. There's a 5% chance that Steph gets exactly 20 points. There's a 5% chance exactly 21, 6% chance 22, and like just maps out every possible, uh, and it uses FanDuel's alt lines to figure out like, the distribution of his points, which is basically the same exact thing as saying standard deviation. It's just more manual, although he's obviously automated it. And then doing the same thing with LeBron, and then it's like, okay, we're going to simulate every possibility based on these FanDuel outlines, and how, how what percentage of the time do they end up at 60? I actually got plus 144, I think. So it was like, it's usually not dead on, um, just because my standard deviations differ a little bit from FanDuel, and I don't necessarily use FanDuel's over under. I'll use like, more the consensus market over under, 
but it's always good to head check because like I said before, you know, I could I can make a mistake with something. I could, you know, add up their numbers wrong or put something wrong in the combined standard deviation, like whatever it is, like, you know, I'm a human being. Uh, so I always like to, to basically calculate twice. And so I did, did it this way, got to plus 143. My way was plus, I'm oh, sorry, this way was plus 140. My way was, excuse me, plus 145. And hence I tweeted, it's about fair, it's a pass because it was boosted plus 140. So actually I did find that there was some value on the under 59 and a half minus 130 DraftKings special, but that part I didn't tweet or anything. Uh, that part wasn't the point of the boost. So anyway, that is um, that is the big thought. Nick, any thoughts or should we just get right into grind my gears? I, I don't think I have anything that can elevate your uh, your very complex thoughts. Uh, give me a sec. I'll, I'll. Well, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully it was uh, it was um, digestible and, and and you know if you have any questions, I'm sure other people would have some of the same questions. So uh, yeah, no, I I honestly think that was really well explained. I think I understand m- most of it. I I think the part where you're explaining, uh, you people say standard deviation often, and I'm like, okay, that's how likely he is to get a certain amount of standard deviations away from his average, I guess is how I look at it. Yeah. Kind of that's, that, that's, that's a good question. And uh-huh. I, you laying out like the 5% chance he puts up 22, 5% chance he puts out 23 helps me view it. Like it's, it's probably less bell curvy because I doubt he has like all of his scores stacked up at one number and I guess it's more of like an even distribution. Right. I mean, look, it gets more and more likely uh, as you get closer to that over under. And sometimes you get, you know, sort of crazier performances, but but for the main guys, yeah, it's it's somewhat like okay, you plug in the standard deviation and uh you have a good sense for what that distribution looks like and I, I do like to uh, you know, head check it with with what the with what the books have, especially because you know we now have three four books that that do it. But had you know you never want to blindly trust the books because they make mistakes, and I, I definitely see it all the time. Like you know, DraftKings SGP or Bet three sixty five will be different from FanDuel. I'm like, okay, what's the right answer? Okay, not not to be whatever, but like it's this. Yeah, <laughs> it's what it's what I have. So that makes sense. So. Um, I always like to head check everything, but yeah, you can get a really good sense for how likely he is to end up at each point level based off of um, that distribution. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, thanks, Nick, for the um, the question. I'm sure a lot of people were, were wondering that as well. Um, grinds my gears, my favorite segment. Shall we? What's got you fired up this week? You know what really grinds my gears? First off, I'm still fired up that Canada didn't have Dinger Tuesday again this week, so I'm going to remind people. And... Caesars and FanDuel haven't switched their rounded total runs uh, in their SQP. So hopefully people are avoiding that and people are upset in Canada, but I'd like to see some things actually get changed from this segment. But the next thing I'd like to get changed are Tennessee, I'll say money line laws. That's kind of what I refer to it, but really it's their, their old percentage laws. So when legalized gambling came to Tennessee, as best I understand it, Tennessee wanted to make sure that they were getting enough tax revenue from it and that people that books weren't just like losing money in order to gain market share. And then I guess that meant that Tennessee wasn't going to get uh, revenue from them. So they instituted this 10. What is it? Uh, Tennessee requires its licenses to hold 10 percent of their handle on an annual basis. 
So sportsbook operators there can only pay out 90% of dollars wage in a year's time. So a lot of these books, what they do is they give Tennessee terrible money line odds or terrible spread odds, like minus 117 each side or um, especially for like the lower probability ones, you'll get like plus 360 at minus 560 instead of plus 400 at minus 525 or something. It, honestly, it might be even you know bigger difference than that. And it really grinds my ears that like Tennessee would be like, oh yeah, we can have sports betting legal in our state as long as the people living in our state get screwed by it and have horrible odds and a lot of this stuff becomes unplayable. Like, they said that they would revisit it um, after some time. I think they said a year, although I think it's been more than a year. Um, they said they'd revisit it. They really need to because the whole point of bringing sports betting to your state, okay, I guess the whole point is tax revenue, but a lot of the point is that a bunch of people want it. And a bunch of people don't want to be playing at horrible odds. You're basically saying that you you are requiring sports books to make money off of your the people in your state, and you need that just so that you can get the tax revenue from people in your state losing. Like obviously, it's the reality that when you bring sports betting to your state, and that one of the benefits is that you know there's taxes on it for for the state. But you can't just say I am requiring you to give our people horrible odds so that you can suck money from them and then we can suck money from you it's it's terrible honestly and i really hope that they switch it so when I, when you were telling me about this i didn't realize so this doesn't affect you in any way this is just you being a man of the people and you're upset for the pe- the kind people of tennessee yeah i mean they've been dealing with this since they've they've gotten the books and not i mean like canada doesn't affect me it's it's like I'm not the policeman here of, of, of sports betting, but at some point, like, not a lot of people talk about sports betting or have a platform to talk about it. You don't hear it on Daily Wager or anything. And sometimes I just feel like there are wrongs and that they should be brought up and hopefully having a bit of a platform can help change them. So far, we are over for 2, um, and this one's probably the most difficult to get changed, but... I hope just more people talking about it, more people being aware of it can, you know, ultimately uh, change things. So that's that's my grandma gears this week. And, you know, it's interesting that Tennessee is the only state that's decided that they need to do that. Is there a specific reason? Do we know, like, is there how did they come to that conclusion? And do you see because they came to that conclusion that as other states legalize, we might end up in a situation where more people, more states end up going that route and giving bad lines? Yeah, um, that's a good question. That's a really good question. I think, and I'm totally now extrapolating, and I don't want to pretend to know, like, the politics of each state. My guess is that it was tough to get it legalized in Tennessee. And a lot of that, you know, I'm only guessing that because most of the other southern states that maybe have similar political profiles to Tennessee don't have sports betting legalized. Like a lot of the states that are still remaining are Alabama, Arkansas, Mississippi, uh, Georgia, South Carolina. Uh, you get you get sort of the picture here that a lot of the southern states don't have sports betting legalized. So maybe when this was getting pretty close in Tennessee, you know, the the state. The people that, you know, kind of want the tax revenue um, felt like they had some leverage and maybe this was sort of a a negotiated point. 
or a debated point. Maybe I watched too much House of Cards, but <laughs> my guess is that this was something that had to be conceded in order to get it across the finish line, as opposed to some other states where it might have been easier to get it legalized. Um, that's my best guess. I I doubt others. I mean, it's, I think I mean they're the only states to still do it. And where maybe some of the other st- southern states follow suit, but. You know, it's, it's hard to speak for what that means for... I don't think any existing state would be like, oh, we're switching you to much worse odds. Man, I hope not. But, but I, you know, I could maybe I could see it, you know, trickling down to some of the other southern states as they try and get legalization yeah. there. Yeah, that, that would definitely be unfortunate. I agree. I don't see... I think there would be uproar if states with already legalized gambling started offering worse lines in order to extract more tax dollars. But my goodness, uh, that would grind my gears for sure. <laughs> yeah, that that wouldn't be fun for me to have to listen to that. So please, guys. Exactly. Um, awesome. Well, I think that's all for our show today. Uh, thank you to our sponsors, Mojo and Underdog Fantasy. Uh, stay tuned to my stuff on all platforms: Action Network, Twitter, Discord, and the Promo Guy Podcast, of course. Which we'll be back again next week. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, Nick. Yep, thanks, guys.